Press this button. There's Celeste. Oh, my God. People will never know. Hello, Celeste. Good morning. People will never know. Never know all the buttons that go on that need to be pushed here. Have you done a lot of radio, Celeste? Besides I have done that. a lot of radio. I've been a guest on radio. I've um, also been a host. I'm currently a host on radio, actually. Where can people listen to you? Uh, WBAI New York, 99.5 FM in the New York metro region and streaming everywhere via WBAI.org. And what time are you on? You know. We are on uh, today, actually. Uh, we'll be on today at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, okay, so right now is what time? Uh, in in Eastern Time, it yeah. is 1.09 p.m. So in four hours' time, that is in two, three, four, five, six o'clock Eastern Standard Time here in Australia, you're on and people can listen to WBAI. What are you going to talk about? What's your topics for today? Uh, the big topic, actually, we have three guests on today, and the big topic is the race to become the next mayor of New York City. I was right going to ask about that. Big election. Yep, yep. So they've just finally decided the, uh, finally figured out the results of the Democratic primary, which is sort of usually the big deal in New York City, and it was the first time they had used ranked choice voting mm. uh, for for that election. So it was uh, pretty uh, pretty hectic there for a while. So lots to unpack. So we call it preferential voting here and most states and certainly uh, federally we have that for our elections that is now I mean they tried to bring it in in the UK Um, you know they had a a referendum about it I think and people thought it was totally undemocratic where do you stand what do you think about it because I mean it's basically giving some people three or four votes that if you your first preference drops out or you know doesn't get enough votes your vote then goes to somebody else and somebody else and somebody else eventually. What what people have said about um, voting without preferential, you know, like that, is that you might have 10 candidates and the person with 11% of the vote wins and therefore that's uh, democratic. What do you make of it? You know, it's, it's interesting. I can see the idea of people getting, you know, sort of peeved because somebody who did not have... Uh, the most sort of baseline popular vote support is winning the election. But at the same time, I mean, you know, there's a couple of things. I think for one thing, it makes people think a lot more about uh, who they're going to choose. It's not sort of... uh, It's not sort of as on the fly. You have to really sort of match up the candidates and consider them and weigh them against each other. Um, Then it's probably a good life lesson. You don't always get your first choice. But uh, lastly, I would say that uh, runoff elections can be very expensive and very poorly attended. And uh, we have so many close call elections right now that you do see runoffs. And the idea of having everybody come back out, setting up the machines again, uh, you know, having people take time out of their day and out of their lives to participate in the civic process if people can get that done in one shot i'm generally pretty okay with that okay see because with uh, you know elections where there might be 10 candidates and you've got one person who gets 11 percent, and they're the winner because they get the most votes that means that 89 percent of the voters did not want that candidate now that's surely not democratic well, they may not have wanted that candidate first, but since people, you know, a certain percentage of people uh, have chosen that candidate as a second or third or fourth or fifth choice, uh, that's technically, I would think, the consensus candidate. I mean, is it is it what most people really wanted? Obviously, no. But, uh, you know, it, the science sort of uh, 
figures out what what yeah. most people will be able to tolerate. So that's the argument in favour of preferential voting, is that if your first choice doesn't get up, your second or third choice might get up. But also what we find in Australia and possibly elsewhere is where you have that type of voting, then it generally sort of filters down to the top, the two major parties, whether here in Australia it's the Labor Party, the Liberal Party, could be Democrat and uh, Republicans in America, or Conservatives and Labor in in the UK, that it you know that's where you know the votes generally sift themselves into just those two major parties, and that's kind of unfair to the other parties. Well, in this case, uh, what we're looking at right now with the mayor's race is this is a closed primary. New York State does have a closed primary. New York City has a closed primary system, which means you can only vote in a primary election if you are a registered member of that party. Yeah. Not everybody in the city can go to vote. So this is really a party, yes. uh, a party internal party decision. Mm. Uh, what do we know about Eric Adams, by the way? Who, I mean, if you win the Democratic primary you generally are going to go on and win not always i mean michael bloomberg originally i think was a, as a republican later became an independent but what do we know what kind of a mayor would he be if he wins yeah he's an interesting guy actually i've covered him for many years and have interviewed him on wbai but uh, i covered him when he was a member of the state senate when i worked at the, the new york state capitol in albany uh, he's a former police officer uh, he would be, if he's elected, he would be the second uh, African-American mayor of New York City. Um, you know, I think he's a somewhat more moderate Democrat than than some of the other people who were in the field who were very much in favor of, uh, you know, things like defunding the police uh, and things like that. Um, so, I mean, he, I think he's certainly progressive and he certainly has spoken out uh, since being a police officer, since being in elected office on gun control, on gun violence. Um, he was, uh, I think he was a founder of a group called, um, uh, 100 blacks in law enforcement who care or some, some long okay. title like that, oh, but essentially, you know, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see, as you say, usually the Democrat gets in, not always. And Michael Bloomberg, what did run as a Republican became an independent, but originally he was a Democrat. Yeah. So who's going to be the Republican? Do they decided? Cause I think there's a big celebrity candidate at one point or rather an odd candidate. Was there not? Well, Curtis Sliwa um, oh, right, yeah. was, yeah, he was the the founder of the Guardian Angels, which was sort of the, not vigilante, but the sort of self-policing or citizen policing yes. group that got started when crime was really bad in New York, and it has gotten worse uh, in recent years. So uh, he's so a They would a patrol the guy. subways and wear the, the notorious uh, red uh, berets. And, you know, they were there to protect people. They weren't there to cause trouble in a way. They were there to protect people from violent crime. Right. I think just the, the physical presence of the guardian angels, you know, knowing that somebody was watching, uh, even if there wasn't a cop there, uh, one of these guys or a pair of these guys might be uh, keeping an eye on things that was supposed to have a deterrent effect. Yeah. And do you think he will win the Republican nominee? nomination yeah yeah i i think wow. so but i i think that the uh the chances are you know the republican field is not very big and you know somebody like michael bloomberg who had uh literally billions of dollars to spend on the race spent millions of dollars but also was elected um right in the aftermath of 9 11 mm. which was a, a very unique time was endorsed by rudy giuliani who was the mayor at that time and that was uh, a very unique uh situation not uh, hopefully never to be replicated well, well, speaking of Rudy Giuliani, he graduated, I think it was first in New York, now it's Washington, D.C., has been suspended from practicing law. That doesn't suspend him from giving advice 
on non-legal matters to people, but what does it mean to him? I mean, this was the most loved man in the world in the wake of September 11, which admittedly is 20 years ago, coming up 20 years ago. But, I mean, he just blotted his copybook incredibly, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, Rudy Giuliani was a, a beloved, for a while, a beloved national figure, if not a beloved in but, uh, you know, he was the face of, of New York resilience and response in, in the aftermath of 9-11, tried to parlay that into a run for president of the United States in 2008, which I covered. That was uh, was not a, uh, a that was sort of a failure to launch operation, didn't really uh, do much with that. But, you know, has become became a, a very uh, major, major surrogate and ally and then personal attorney to Donald Trump, during which time he spread a lot of falsehoods, a lot of lies about the election being stolen, about fraud, about conspiracy having to do with uh, how we voted in, in 2020. And so as a result, he has had his um, ability to practice law in New York and the District of Columbia suspended. Um, yeah, you know, it's not going to is it going to stop him from going on TV and talking about Donald Trump or talking about uh, the law or events of the day? No, but that's not what pays the bills. And you're talking about a guy who was, you know, at some point the the hottest or one of the hottest attorneys uh, in America, if not the world. And he did a lot of uh, international business as well. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it, it, you know, it just doesn't look great. doesn't look great. Do you want to hire a lawyer who's had his license suspended in New York? <laughs> mm. Yes, probably not. Anyway, so I remember the first time I ever went to New York was the day he was... Uh, sworn in or inaugurated as mayor. I remember going down to wherever they had it in a park down in the mm. southern end of the city and all the when we got there all the you know the bunting and all the flags were still up there and I because at that point he was pretty well known even in, in when he was elected mayor because he'd been had a high profile as an well as a uh, a pros prosecutor putting mafia figures away. Wasn't that the case? Oh, yeah. I mean, Giuliani was known as a, a very tough on crime. That's why he got elected. The city people in the city wanted to do something about crime. And he had made a, a name for himself as a um, U.S. attorney, a prosecutor going after the mob, going after, you know, sort of very dangerous, shady guys. And, he, you know, he, he certainly uh, you know, was kind of a tough talking New Yorker, no nonsense kind of guy, uh, you know, does have a softer side, likes opera. That's his big thing. He happens to love opera. But, you know, that's what people wanted and needed in the city at the time. And I think that he has tried to, I don't know, I think a lot of people feel he's just outstayed his welcome. All right. Now, to an absolute tragedy that I'm amazed it really doesn't happen more often. We've had problems in Sydney, in Australia, with cracks appearing in apartment buildings that happened a couple of years ago, and those people who were living there still have not got their money back. They haven't got into the apartments to get their their belongings out. The buildings have not fallen over, but of course there's always the possibility that that will happen. But that's what did happen in Florida. Half of a building fell down now. They've demolished the other half. It's gone from a a recovery to a uh, rescue uh, operation to it's uh, sorry from a rescue to a recovery operation how did this happen how did this building fall down that's the question that everyone's trying to figure out was it you know it looks like there was some 
long-term deferred maintenance. There was some structural damage, cracking in the supports of the building, particularly in a parking garage under the building. And, uh, you know, there have been lots of reports that are really scary and sad about how the condo board of this building had tried to, you know, institute a a special assessment or a, a maintenance plan to deal with this stuff. And it just got put off and put off and put off until the thing actually fell down in the middle of the night. Just absolutely horrifying. And, um, you know, as you say, they have just switched over from uh, search and rescue to uh, to recovery, uh, to recovery of whoever may be still trapped in the, the rubble of that building. What about the fact, though, that the other half of the building, which you'd have to think might fall down at some point, but people weren't allowed to go back in and recover anything from that. And they just demolished that building as well. Well, if you think about it, and look, nobody wants to lose their personal possessions if you ever had anything stolen or if you've been in a fire or flood. I mean, it's horrible. But what, you know, you balance that against what would be the cost if something did happen while people were in the building or if people went in the building and were expected to come out and didn't and then something happened. You know, I mean, that's is is any possession really worth that? Possibly. I mean, you know, I'm, a, okay. I'm willing to take the chance to, you know, walk up the fire stairs. Perhaps if you're on the first or second floor, maybe. I don't know. I just, I can't imagine how terrible it would be that, I mean, it's bad enough in the middle of the night. Yes, your building collapses. But, you know, the other half of your building collapses and you have to get out immediately as well and you can never go back and you're left without a home. I mean, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen, but I bet the insurance companies aren't uh, rolling up to pay out, are they? Not usually, no. And again, I mean, there's going to have to be some serious, there's already underway, but some serious uh, sort of inquiry or investigation into how this happened, who was responsible, because people do want to point a finger and sometimes that's justified. Look, I mean, if somebody could have done something to prevent these people from dying and dying in a horrible, horrible way and they didn't do it, then yeah, they should be held responsible. But yeah, I'm sure the insurers are not super excited to have to... uh, shell out for this no someone's going to have to it'd be interesting to know where the uh the builders are i mean there's been up there for a long time this wasn't just thrown up recently this is uh is a building that was up for quite a while um now something else that all came tumbling down that was donald trump on uh, facebook on twitter on youtube that was his megaphone his pulpit to the world when he was president um because of what happened on uh january the 6th and the lies that he was telling also about uh, winning the election, which, you know, he didn't win, uh, they took him off their platforms. He's now taking them to court. Now, one of the interesting things here that I heard was if he does want to do this, he's going to have to go in to court under oath and answer questions. Do you think he's likely to do it? Uh, I think, well, you want to know what I really think? I really think that this is a a hopeless lawsuit from everything that I've seen and from everything that that I, you know, what little I understand personally about uh, how these things work, about how social media works vis-a-vis the Constitution, the First Amendment, free speech and all that. I think this case is hopeless. What I do know is that I have been getting text messages from the Trump campaign since I sign up for all the politicians' uh, emails and text messages uh, telling me that, uh, you know, I should support Donald Trump and his noble crusade against, you know, these corporate social media companies and I should send him money. And that's what I think this is really Okay, about. so, I mean, I'm sure Donald Trump does have a lot of money. He probably doesn't have as much money as 
he tells people he does, but I'm sure he's got plenty. Why isn't he funding this himself? Why is he asking you for money? Well, because, uh, you know, campaigns have debt and the campaign is a, a campaign is a separate entity from the person who's actually the candidate. Uh, you know, maybe he owes people money. Maybe he wants to uh, raise that money to give to other candidates. Maybe he can roll it over into some other some other use. You know, I mean, technically, he could still run for president again. Um, he you can serve two terms or up to 10 years. I believe that was a question on that your was show, indeed. Good point. <laughs> yes. So, um, uh, so technically he, he could do that, but yeah, I mean, and if he's listening to the program, I'd still love to see his tax returns, yeah. all of them. And then we can know about, you know, a little bit more about how much money he does and does not have. I spent any number of months and years trying to get those tax returns and like everyone else was was not successful um but yeah i think that he also just wants to keep people engaged in and invested in his his movement his his uh, uh you know his legacy and this is one of the ways to do it it keeps him on the map because as uh, obviously the whole point of this is you can't read his tweets anymore i can't believe i'm about to ask this but Obviously, he is front runner for the Demo for the Republicans next time. If not him, who do you think is the front runner for the Republicans? Given the fact that we are still more than three and a half years away from the election. Wow, that's a that's a, a very early early prediction. I mean, Never too there's early. always people who are who are out there making making noise. I mean, I think it will be interesting to me if uh, the front runners that emerge are super far to the right and are very much in sort of the Trump mold, or by the time we get there, uh, some of that will have worn off and people will figure that um, after four years of a Democratic president, a moderate, fairly moderate Democratic president, the answer will be to try to run a more moderate Republican and sort of woo back some of the people who were not thrilled with Joe Biden were kind of okay with Donald Trump, but weren't super excited, but maybe they can meet people in the middle. So, I mean, you could always have sort of the firebrand Ted Cruz brand of, of uh, Republicans. And then there's also, I mean, for all I know, somebody like a Marjorie Taylor Greene, somebody who just can't stop comparing things to the Holocaust oh, uh, on a regular basis, you know, might try to run and might get some support among certain factions of the, of the Republican, at least among Republican primary voters. But you may see people who are, who are more moderate or people who are, were sort of also ran the last time come back and say, look, you know, you could have had me instead, mm. you know, look what you chose. You have a second chance now. All right. Now, when I think of Boston, Celeste, I think of freezing cold weather, snow. Uh, the first time I ever went to Boston, um, honestly, the snow was six feet piled up. It was unbelievable. That is not the case, obviously, in summer. I've only ever been there in December and May and sort of those times of the year. It's very hot there now, though, isn't it? Yeah, we are finally getting a little bit of a break, but we have been through uh, a terrible, terrible heat wave with uh, temperatures up to 100 degrees, feel like 103 or more, you know, just uh, violent, violent thunderstorms as well. Um, so really radical weather. And that's, um, you know, the entire United, big parts of the United States have been experiencing serious weather, hurricanes, um, absolutely deadly heat waves in the, the western portion of the United States, including in uh, the northwest United States and in Canada. Uh, it so it's been a, a very weird and uncomfortable summer. And just finally, before we go, this is a strange story, and it's one of the only in America stories. 
Two men were charged in connection of an uh, in connection with an armed standoff on a Massachusetts highway last weekend. Say so they are not citizens of the United States, or at least they're not. Um, they don't come under the laws of the United States. What was their argument? Yeah, so these guys were driving from Rhode Island to Maine, so going through Massachusetts, and they uh, uh, ran into some police. I think they were pulled over at the side of the road, maybe like filling up their cars with gas or something. And so the cops come up, and they've all got guns, like long guns, handguns, shotguns, rifles, all sorts of stuff, and tons of ammunition, and just all this stuff. And they say they're going for a training exercise or something in Maine. The cops are like, well, we're not too sure about this. And they're like, well, we're not subject to the laws of the United States. We're foreign nationals. And they are part of this group called Rise of the Moors, which is based in Rhode Island. And they claim that they are foreign nationals. They are the original or like they are the original sovereign citizens of the United States um, and that they're not subject to American law, modern American law. They don't have to obey the laws. And so, you know, I guess right now they're finding out different since they're all getting arrested and arraigned. But, um, you know, it's it's kind of this interesting separatist thing um, where, where they claim that they don't they're they don't have to uh, obey the U.S. government. They're on their own. And there's a reason for that, because it goes all the way back to George Washington, apparently. Yeah, apparently there was some like letter from Washington in like 1789 or something um, that he wrote to the Sultan of Morocco. I haven't <laughs> You have to admit I haven't read the original Don't have letter, the letter on but, you? Oh, okay. You know, oddly enough. <laughs> no. But, yeah, they, they're citing historical historical backing for their argument that they don't have to be, obey American law, even though they're residents of Rhode Island and are living here and stuff. Yeah. Wish them nothing but the best, but uh, hopefully they'll stop before <laughs> any damage was done. Celeste, thank you very much. Enjoy that heat, and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks' time. Always a pleasure. It is a pleasure talking to Celeste Katzmaston in the United States, in Boston, in Massachusetts.